Hello, and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by three friends who love cinema. I'm Oliver, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Gus and Nate. Tonight, you'll be staying in Room 134, The Silence of the Lambs, the serial killer classic directed by Jonathan Demme. So go ahead, get comfortable, throw on that Do Not Disturb sign as we track down Buffalo Bill and The Silence of the Lambs. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lambs. Do you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. What's going on, you crazy cannibals? Thanks for checking back in the Grand Cinema Hotel. As always, if you're listening on YouTube, smash all the buttons you possibly can. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any other podcast listening app, don't forget to subscribe and push notifications so you get let know when we drop our new podcast episodes, which takes us into the next episode of our eight-movie horror movie showdown finale, Elite Eight. I don't even know what number this is <laughs> <Okay>. anymore. <laughs> but we're doing yeah, Silence yeah. of the Lamb, boys. All right, yep. all right, we're doing it. This is a big one. This is a whale of a movie. Um, I think before we get into it, we should probably talk about our first time seeing it. Yeah. Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go. Um, this is one of the movies that I have a couple of like cousins that I ha- didn't see too often in my life. Um but I would go over to the house every once in a while and I had like a cousin that was older and then and then my other cousin that was around my age. But one of them had this poster up in his room. So he like really liked this movie. Red and flag. I know. <laughs> and then but I always kinda like as a kid the like the butterfly thing always it really stood out to me, the poster. And so uh I remember one day he had it on when I came over. And um and the first time I saw it actually was one of the first, it started right where Buffalo Bill's already dancing. So it was kind of close to the ending, but I remember I was so thrown off, like, what the fuck is this movie? You know? And years later, I remember I, I it was showing on TV and I saw the whole thing and I just automatically loved it. Honestly, like it, did you watch it with commercial breaks? Like yeah. TV like that. Oof. Yeah. The best way tight, tight. How it was intended. <laughs> How it was intended. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm surprised rewatching it now that it wasn't an altered version, you know, since TV used to have like, um, different versions. I'm surprised that, that like years and later we watched that the, they would just put the original on there. Um, yeah, that was the first time I watched Sometimes it. Sometimes cable would be rad like that. They'd let it slip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh shit, we accidentally put the real version on. Like by the time like Spike, like I'm pretty sure I saw it like on Spike or something. Probably, you know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I love right this Right after movie. watching this A Thousand Ways to Die? Or yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, this, is, this is one of the man show. <laughs> it's all shows that I watched. It's so funny. It's at that age. <laughs> <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> um, what about you, Nate? Um, th- okay. <laughs> the first time I saw this was in sixth grade, and by I had, myself. No, no, <laughs> and that was the problem. This maybe this is why it's just better to watch horror movies by cut yourself. The doll, cut the face off my doll. <laughs> so this is actually kind of a. This is funny. Now it's funny, but I had had like a movie night with like my friends, and we were going to watch scary movies, and I picked out two movies. It was I think it was The Grudge. And then Silence of the Lambs, I'd never seen it before. Cinephile. Right? <laughs> Damn. So go through the crutch, haha, like, okay, that's cool. Like, wow. And then we watched Silence of the Lambs. 
and it <laughs> fucked everybody up. Everybody told their parents, and I got in so much fucking oh. trouble, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so much trouble because of the the goodbye horses scene. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, sense. but the first time I saw it, I fucking loved it. I I had never really seen a, a horror movie like that. Um, I know we had kind of talked about it in some previous episodes, but uh. Like the horror movies that really do get to me the most are the ones that can happen. Like I like ghosts and ghouls and goblins don't really get to me all that much. Like the fact that this is a movie that has really taken place in real life, pretty much. Like it just it freaks me out. So that's definitely the most grounded of all the movies. I would say so because it doesn't have anything supernatural. No, doesn't have any specters or ghosts and goblins like you talked about. Um, My first so. I started with uh, Red Dragon and Hannibal. Mm. Okay. My parents took me to go see that. That The recurring theme (laughs) of the show. Going to see movies I shouldn't have seen. Um, So I probably saw Red Dragon when I was like six, and then Hannibal when I was like seven, because they came out in 2001 and 2002. Um, But The Silence of the Lambs is just one of those things that's always been around, right? Like references in like The Simpsons and like other TV shows like that. Like it's just so iconic that it was something I understood before I had ever seen it. But then when I got a little older and I was in high school, I had a friend who his stepdad was like a huge movie dude. Like their living room had a TV and he had like a DVD player and a sound system. And then like he would go in the garage and he had a bucket full of DVDs. Like, mm. And uh, we would just go through them all the time. And one day my friend was like, have you ever seen this? Like, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And I was like, no, no, no. So then we put it on and it just blew my mind. I was probably like uh, 15 or 16 years old when it happened. But ever since then, it's become one of those like staples in my, I wouldn't, I don't know about top 10, but like, you know, top movies I've ever seen. Of course, you know, top 10s and stuff like that are subjective, but this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. That's not just us saying that. That's. I would say the closest you could get to a fact about movies, right? No, I mean, it really is. I mean, not even just from a horror movie standpoint, but from a movie standpoint. Yeah. Like, this really is just a fucking kick-ass movie, and I think everybody's aware of that. Like, the Oscars were even aware of that. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's technically the first horror movie to ever win Best Picture. Um, Wait, did The Exorcist? I don't think it did. Because we talked picture, about right? The Exorcist winning Oscars I, as well. I don't think it won Best Picture. But it, sw- it swept its big five yeah, category. It so Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best, best Picture, and uh, Best... No, not Supporting. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster were both considered stars in the movie. So they just won those two categories. And then it won Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm. Um, and I did want to bring this up because I haven't seen this movie, but I think Roe has. You've seen Manhunter, correct? Yeah. Uh, that's our first... Introduction. Cinema introduction to Hannibal Lecter, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of that movie? He's cool. I mean, um, I like Manhunter. I think it has his flaws. Um, I was thinking about it as I was drove here because I was trying to think of the actor, the main actor's William name. Peterson. William Mr. Peterson. CSI himself. That's why it doesn't work. I actually think that movie doesn't work because he doesn't work People in it. People love him, too. Do you know that? Yeah. Like, as an actor? I, th- I think... I don't know. I haven't seen him in anything else, so I can't speak on it. But on that, it just seems like he's on he's on a different movie, like his emotional. But anyways, but Hannibal Lecter's rendition in that movie in Manhunter is very reminiscent of this, and I'm sure Anthony Hopkins saw like kind of took drew from that. They kind of talked it like it kind of seems like they're same meticulous in the same way. So I mean, I enjoyed Manhunter. That's the character of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, exactly. Um, what I wanted to talk about was the making of this movie before we really got started. 
Um, I was doing, there's a ton of research available on this movie. Yeah. Like all great movies, the source material is there if you really want to know. Um, so this movie starts with Gene Hackman and Orion Pictures, which got me excited because I'm like, oh, this could have been even more of a perfect movie. <laughs> Gene Hackman was in this. Um, it was a collaboration between them to adapt the film, right? Gene Hackman was going to star, in, or not star in the film. He was going to direct the film and possibly star in it. And then after the first draft was halfway done, he dropped out and they lost all financing. But they decided to keep going and uh, they figured it was going to work out eventually and they were trying to find other directors and that's how they end up getting Jonathan Demme. But because Manhunter was made by Dino De Laurentiis, his production company, he lent the rights of the character to Orion to use oh. it. So it's like a collaboration almost. Um, kind of like Spider-Man stuff, yeah. like Sony, Marvel. Like Sony owns them, but they let Marvel use them. Um, you know, that's the OG Marvel. <laughs> it's Orion picture. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but I also wanted to talk about possible actors who we could have had in this movie. So originally Sean Connery was approached to do Hannibal Lecter. That would have been a fucking which mess. Just been, yeah. That would have been a mess. You were, you were heavy on skin cream. <laughs> I don't think he would have been able to transform himself no. the way Anthony Hopkins does. I also saw, dude, it's just the big names of the time. Like Daniel Day-Lewis was approached to play Hannibal Lecter, which would have been maybe like a... a a proto A24 heady horror movie. I mean, that, that might have worked. He cares so much about the art of acting. Yeah. You know what I mean? He might have worked. Um, it would not have worked if it had been Al Pacino or Robert De Niro. Oh, no. my God. Hey, Starling, you got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. I, don't, I can't picture anybody else other than Anthony Hopkins. I only him. brought this up so I could do these impressions. Yeah, Robert De Niro. No, that doesn't work either. Uh, but Anthony Hopkins was approached for this because of the elephant man, which Sick. is telling about his career because I think he has a huge amount of ups and downs. And I think it's because he works so much. Yeah, right? he does. Um, elephant man is 11 years prior and he got this. So getting this based off of something you did 11 years a ago, ago. is a little outlandish. It's kind of crazy. He saw something special there. And I mean, a lot of people would argue that that's an, uh, upper role, upper tier role of Anthony Hopkins, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then we also have Jodie Foster, who was a child star. We know this. We've all seen Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. right? Um, once she became an adult, she went to Yale and she put her acting career on a hiatus for four years. And then in the eight, she graduated in 1980, and for that whole decade, she had trouble securing like big roles again. And then she wins an Oscar for her role in The Accused, which is like mm. a courtroom drama. And then she gets this. But even at that point, Jonathan Demme did not want to cast her. He really? had just worked with Michelle Pfeiffer on uh, Married to the Mob, which is one of the only other Jonathan Demme movies I've seen. It's it's okay. I, the reason I saw it was because PTA really likes that movie. So I was like, let me add it to my list. Um, she turned it down because she thought the role was too gruesome. And then uh, Meg Ryan, who's also mm. a megastar at the time, was pro uh, approached for this. And they both turned it down for the same reason. But Jodie Foster had a... Huge appreciation for this role, and she really fought for it. So she got this based off of her passion for the role, basically. And I think it worked out for the best. I think so, too. I mean, that's what, like, in doing the research for this episode, like, 
it seems like a lot of the actors really gave it their best and did like a lot of their own like personal research into the characters that were playing. Like I know that Anthony Hopkins like read case files of serial killers, visited prisons, like, and he even said like he based a lot of his like mannerisms and like eye movement based off one of his friends in London who apparently just scared the shit out of everybody because he would never blink. So like, and then Jodie Foster even like worked like, I think, I don't know if the lady, I, I think I have her name somewhere, but uh, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I can't find it. Okay. Um, she she worked with, like, an actual FBI agent, and, like, the FBI agent was a female also and basically was telling her, like, you know, this is these are the hard parts of the job and, like, you know, like, just gave her a lot of inspiration for her role, and I, I think that that shines through in this movie. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Anthony Hopkins inspiration for the role because I've seen many different things. And yeah. I think because it's been around for so long, there's so many different um, – sources of inspiration so the first one i saw which i thought was so interesting and for me i want to believe that this is the one is that the voice and the cadence is based off of hal 9000 from 2001 mm, really? so it's like that is also one of the most unsettling quote-unquote villains yeah I've, i never really thought of Hal as the villain of that story i mean the dude's just trying to stay alive yeah <laughs> but uh i also saw that night like a 1940s actress katherine hepburn was the Another source of inspiration. And if you've ever seen her movies, the way she, she talks like, like this. Yeah. Like, oh, baby doll, what are you doing? <laughs> that transatlantic <laughs> yeah. accent. Yeah. That, ac that great Gatsby talk yeah, exactly. that no one talks like, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then I saw, like, you know, Charles Manson for, like, mannerisms yeah. and stuff like that. But it's there's a lot of different uh, tales and legends about where this inspiration really came from. I think that just goes to show how good it is. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, the better something is, I feel like the more, like, you know, almost myth follows it. So I, I think that kind of bounces back on what you were talking about, like why it's the story is so grounded and real is because there is so much you can take from that has happened that is similar to this story. So they have so much um, real like um, research they can do. That's true. Like you said, but you could you could go with an FBI agent. You could go to jails and talk to murderers or see their mannerisms, and you could read books on Charles Manson. You could get arrested and go to jail. Sure. Yeah. You, can't, you can't interview a ghost and see what they would do. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right. It makes um, sense. I think this should bring us to the cast and the – well, the crew. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the crew. Uh, Jonathan Demi, are you guys familiar with him, really? Um, I really – when I saw that he was a director of this movie, it didn't really pop up in my head who he was. But after talking about some of the movies that he's done, like Philadelphia and The Manchurian Candidate, I've seen those. I like those movies. I definitely think that of the ones I've seen, this is by far my favorite. So Yeah. Uh, we had talked about James Wan previously, and I feel like – uh, Jonathan Demi is also one of those filmmakers, which it's it's cool that we're kind of branching out to like not every director is a amazing great director mm -hmm. who never has any misses because he has quite a few, but I think it's cool to see someone who like really struck gold and there's no argument that this is for sure his best movie. Yeah, no. Um, I have seen Married to the Mob and I've seen parts of the Manchurian Candidate, but I'm not really all too familiar with him. Um, but at the same time, I, I think this movie is so good because of him. Like, I don't think it just could have been anybody like as much as I would no. have loved for Gene Hackman to direct this right. movie. I don't think that that is, uh, in like, I think there's one thing that he really did with this movie that stands out and it makes it like, I never even really noticed it until I was doing research before I saw it, before I watched the movie earlier today. And uh, I wanted to pay attention to it is the fact that most of the dialogue is given from characters speaking directly into the camera. Yeah, which is something right, and it's something that you don't really see a lot in films. And I was also reading like he wanted to do that, especially when 
like the male actors were speaking to Clarice because they he wanted you to be in her shoes and see how you know almost uncomfortable in some some situations are. Yeah, um, that's typically a faux pas of filmmaking, right? right? Is to have the actor looking directly into the yeah. camera, but in this instance, it feels like they're looking into your soul. <laughs> Agree, yeah, and because like that, like however he did or however he made it work, like it very easily could not have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't right. know. So he, he, I think he did a really so good job with this. So since you brought up camera work, I would like to talk about the cinematographer whose name is Tak Fujimoto. This guy's a legend, bro. I looked up his filmography. So he's notable for his collaborations with Jonathan Demi. Like, he did a majority of his films. But he made his debut with Terrence Malick's The Badlands, mm. which I've never seen. But I just think that's fucking cool because cool. I, I know about the legend of Terrence <laughs> yeah. Malick, right? Um, he's also worked on uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Pretty in Pink in the same year. That's pretty too. That's cool. So I always love to see how uh, far out a cinematographer's filmography can be. You know, like yeah. we talked about with uh, which what movie did we talk about where it was like the person who sh- shot the power of the dog also shot Zola was it? I don't know, but we had talked about that last year yeah. where it was like, it's just cool to see w- someone go from this to this and it totally works. Um, I think that has to do with like cinematographers being more like painters. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I could, I could paint that. Mm-hmm. I could make that work. Yeah. Give me 50 <laughs> extra bucks. I could do it. You know what I mean? No, it is uh, cool. but I, I just like think that, that he has a, a pretty cool filmography to go from like, He's made one of the greatest movies ever. He's made some really iconic 80s movies. Like, if you ask our parents who grew up at that time, it's like, these are huge movies. Mm-hmm. Those are staples, and yeah. And pink. Like, not so much for me, but I do think they all have interesting camera work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to talk about, which I think is kind of slept on in this movie, is the score. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic score from the opening beat of the movie. Like, the opening scene to this is perfect. Like, it, it is. It lets you know, it, it sets the tone, like, that this is going to be, like, a highbrow movie. You know, it's like you have these, you have Tak Fujimoto with these great tracking shots of Clarice going through her training. And then you have the music, which is done by Howard Shore. And when I looked up his body of work, it, it's extensive. And, like, this really? guy has made some great pieces of music that all of us, without knowing actually really like so i have these written down the brood the dead zone after hours so he's already he's worked with cronenberg and scorsese right then he did the fly he did tom hanks's movie big tight he did seven he did the game so he's worked with david fincher as well and then he goes on and does a little trilogy i don't know if you guys ever heard of it. it's called lord of the rings did he really yeah jesus christ (laughs) and then he goes on to do another fincher film panic room which is my first david fincher movie i saw that in the theater as a kid and also has jodie foster what an animal collaboration and then gangs of new york jesus so this is a seminal uh a seminal composer in the world of film yeah you know what, what i mean I, without even knowing it these are some of my favorite movies yeah so Impressive. his music plays a huge part in these and it does throughout the entire film like i think the score really helps elevate this film i think so too as well um yeah th- that's basically what i have for like the behind the scenes stuff i don't know if you guys have anything you really want to bring up about it um do you want to do do you want to do the actors so about the cast yeah i think like that i mean we kind of already talked about it a little, little bit but that is one of the reasons why this movie hits so hard is the cast and their performances. But I, I think some of what you were, you were saying this a little before, and you were talking about it, Gus, like, and who could have gotten the roles. And I think this movie only works so well because the actors we found out through you guys, is, what you guys were saying was like they were dedicated towards it. And all the other people that you guys kind of brought up seemed like they might have just seen this as another project. 
But maybe Anthony Hopkins felt like he had, since he has ups and downs in his career, this was a perfect role for him. And Jodie Foster is so interested in the subject material that she like also brought her A game. Yeah, it feels like for whatever reason, everybody involved in this movie was like, "This is special." Yeah, and they really took it to heart. So Anthony Hopkins is, I mean, hot hot take, but truly one of the great actors. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like I've I look I was looking it up because, and I kept finding different. different numbers online but apparently he has like the second shortest amount of screen time for winning a best actor award wow i've also seen that because that's at 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time i've also saw some numbers in like the 16 17 minute marks so i don't know how long he's actually in it but just like bradley cooper and licorice pizza (laughs) just like that but the fact that like that shows that like your energy same you're only in the movie for maybe 20 percent of it and you're able to win an oscar for like it just goes to show how impactful the performance really was so when i was doing research into him i was looking back into like how he started and you know he's a He's a British bloke. Um, he starts off doing, like, the Royal Theater and stuff yeah. like that, right? And then he gets picked up by Laurence Olivier. So Laurence Olivier takes him under his wing as, like, this is this could be the next, like, me. You know what I mean? And uh, an interesting piece of just cinema history that I saw was that when they remastered Spartacus, um, they needed to redub some of the lines and because of... Uh, Lawrence Olivier had already passed. Anthony Hopkins did That's it cool. because he's like renowned for his impressions, and I guess he has a killer Lawrence Olivier. So that That's was just cool. a small piece of film history that I was like, nice. glad I know that. Now. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> but you know, he's worked on the stage, and he had a uh, he's considered like one of the greats in stage work as well. But his filmography, I just think he kind of has like Denzel syndrome, where it's like I'm a great, I'm a truly great actor, but I work so much that there's gonna be a lot of hit and misses. You don't like the right, bro? <laughs> <laughs> the right. Um, or what about him as a uh, Van Helsing in Dracula? Yeah, nice. exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he just brings a total level of unsettling to this. And when you look at his real life, he's kind of got a little Lecter in him. Like, I saw in 2007 that he took a small sabbatical from acting to do to compose music and go on tour and do that. And I'm like, that's that ain't the most Hannibal Lecter shit I've ever <laughs> exactly. heard. Exactly. Yeah, I'm one of the great actors of all time. And in my spare time, I compose classical music. That's pretty funny. What the fuck? He does Art. seem like a classy motherfucker. Like, he really does. He's class personified. Yeah. Even being <laughs> a crazy, you know, Elegance. serial killer. Yeah. Uh-huh. For real. Oh, man. Okay. I think... I, I've honestly, I really like Scott Glenn's performance in this as Jack Crawford. Yeah, I think yeah, could have been. I think he does a really good job. Um, he's one of the, and that's what I, we'll probably get into it. But he's one of the males in this movie that actually seems to care and treat Starling as a human being. But also, he still uses her in a lot of ways he that does. puts her in danger. He does. Yeah. Um, this movie had been reminding me of Men. Alex Garland's new film and it's just because she's in this world of like basically every dude other than the serial killer cannibal is just awful to Mm -hmm. her and like I was reading this article about the male gaze and Silence of the Lambs and how this is like a really important piece of work at the time because it's I wouldn't say it's heavy handed but it's not exactly subtle no it's there it's It's, definitely there it's definitely there it's not something that's brushed to the side like a big part of this movie is the fact that she's a woman going through this Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the horrible reviews I saw this is one of the all time bad takes and it's from Gene Siskel right interesting is that he didn't like this movie well Roger Ebert based he gave it a great (laughs) review right he's one of the all time great movies it's phenomenal but Gene Siskel didn't like this movie because he thought Jodie 
uh, Foster was small and that she was in a world full of monsters and he would have rather seen her take a different case than be involved in this horrible world. Oh, she does. You don't want her to get hurt? Like, yeah, like she's a grown the, woman that wants to be in the FBI. This is one of the worst takes I've <laughs> ever bad, seen from dude. a great That's from a fucking great bad. Gene Siskel. <laughs> yeah. Shame. Shame. Shame on you, sir. Shame on you and your grave. Jeez. Roll over. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, this movie does remind me of men just because it's like she's in this nightmare world that is all revolving around guys. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't think it's that subtle, but boy, is it phenomenal. Yeah, it is. All right. Do you want to start talking about the movie? Yeah, let's talk about it. Where do you want to start? At the beginning. <laughs> all right. You have a synopsis for us? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, so in case you've never seen this movie or heard of it, um, it's how? a... Yeah, exactly. Explain yourself. <laughs> but a here we go. A young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. So, yeah, that basically sets it up. Um, Jodie Foster is a, she's a young cadet, and this is basically her first kind of, like, almost break. Like, Jack Crawford being her, uh, um, the head of the behavioral sciences unit in the FBI, like, basically kind of takes her under his wing, and like you said, uses her to kind of get information out of this Hannibal Lecter character. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on, I did want to go back to this scene a little. It's the opening sequence, like the training montage. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the all-time great training montages. I think it's phenomenal, and yeah. I think it's one of the great openings, too, because you get... It's just filmmaking on, like, great filmmaking on display, you know? Like I, the shots, yeah. the music, the angles, the, the performance of Jodie Foster doing the cardio workout or whatever you would call it, like, obstacle yep. course, and then finding out that she's going to be... And then, you know, she gets the call to go into the office and you see her with the dudes in the elevator, right? And they're all these big hulking dudes. And you really realize how small Jodie Foster is in this male-dominated space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the, I just love that fucking scene. No, the opening of it, like, I, I feel like I say it with a lot of movies and I, I want to think of a different way to say it, but it really just sucks you in. Mm-hmm. Like, it really does. Um, I think the opening of this is almost how I feel about the opening of Spencer. Where okay. it just really kind of sets the mood for the movie, and like I don't know, it's just you just know what you're getting. Yeah, into. You, you're gonna you're about to go into something that's big, you know, and I don't know. Right from the get go, this movie doesn't like everything is important to the whole. It doesn't show you anything that is extra. It doesn't really even start off slow. I think it really picks up the pace. It has one of the best pacings I've seen in any film. Um, like you guys were saying, like the score setting in, and it just really sets the atmosphere. For There's what no we're fat see. to trim on this movie. No, mm-hmm. and I mean that was it's one of the things mass. that, like, yeah. it's I think it's right under the two hour cut, and I just think that's why it's really good. I think um, they really make worth of every minute that's in this movie, right from the get go. That running sequence does pay off. Just to see, like it. You're seeing that she does everything just as well as any of the guys, maybe even better, possibly. And she is still being looked down upon. And even you kind of touched upon this. Every male there kind of either looks at her with lust or just kind of like, what is she doing here? And, like, there's there's a scene where she's walking by with her friend and the all the guys, like, turn around to look at them, you know. And it's just kind of, like, very reminiscent of men of kind of just putting you in that in that uh, woman's world, and especially being in the FBI, must be a whole different like. I thought of uh, X, like not not the actual character, but how they call Jen Ortega a church mouse. Mm, like right. Jodie Foster looks like a, a church, church mouse. mouse in a world full of lions, honestly. <laughs> so I, I mean, I agree with Siskel's like 
analysis, but that's the reason I like it as opposed to him saying that's like, oh, I would rather her. But like, I like it because it puts you in a. I, I, I don't know what that feels like, but I feel like Bruh. whatever is showing on camera is close to what it he feels like. He was two like. seconds away from saying, like, the rest of that quote was probably like, I would have liked to seen her in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. He's like, this film sucked because there's no lady FBI agents. What are you talking yeah, about? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not going to do the whole thing. No, 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 it's no. It's impossible. No. Uh, but we should move on to the, the lector scene. That's what I, yeah. Like Rose said, with the pacing, mm-hmm. this movie's fast. And within the first 20 minutes, you're pretty much sucked in and you know exactly what like what we're doing. Here. Mm-hmm. Arguably one of the greatest intros to movie villain ever. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't have one off the top of my head, but yes. No, it's, it's phenomenal. phenomenal. Them, yeah. I yeah. think that just every interaction that you get with Starling and Lecter in this movie is it's compelling. Like, those are, like, my favorite parts of the yeah. movie, honestly, is these little conversation, and you just get to see the mind games that they're playing with each other. Like, it's just really interesting. And uh, like, Before we move on, though, can we talk about the idea that this is a horror movie? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I mean, obvi- I mean, obviously it is because it is, here, but it, I mean, I, I will die on the hill that this is a horror movie. Yeah, I it like we've talked about in previous episodes, like there are movies that teeter the line between thrillers, horrors, like crime mysteries. But just the way that this is executed, like not only in like the actual horrible aspects, like the, the things that Dr. Lecter says or what Buffalo Bill is doing to people. But then you just have the whole, you know, the patriarchy thing, too. Like, that's also terrifying. Like, th- there's never a moment where you really feel safe in this movie. It's kind of like we were talking about, like, it's heady without knowing it. It's not trying to be, but it actually it is. It is, yeah. Because, like, the scariest part is that she's in this world of a bunch of dangerous men all the mm-hmm. time, just like men. You, you just know? get to see the, the layers of how dangerous these men can be. I think it's, okay, so obviously you would think ha- your, your brain goes to Hannibal Lecter when you're thinking the scary stuff, right? But the scene of when she's... Uh, in Buffalo Bill's house, the, at, that's at the end. Yeah. No, that's forward. terrifying. Right, the, the, the night vision goggles yes. is fucking terrifying. And I have theme park brain rot, so make this a maze. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to walk through Buffalo Bill's house. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> even just like like the ambiance of that house, like that is like hell on earth. Like you know what I mean? It's just it's disgusting. It's exactly what you think a person would like that would be living yeah. and doing these terrible crimes. Like it's disgusting. You know that house sold in 2015 for 195k. Really. You could, you could be sleeping there every. You know, night. you know what I found out that was actually kind of interesting about that house is the dude who played Buffalo Bill or Jamie Jamie Gunn or Gum or whoever you want. James Gum. James Gum. That actor grew up in that town Ooh. and lived next door to that house. Do you uh, do you recognize him from much other stuff? Ted Levine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at his stuff. I, so yeah. you guys know he's in Heat. Yes. And yeah. Island. And and every time I see him, I'm just like, God damn it! No, you to play other people. Yeah. You're Buffalo Bill. You nasty. And in, and in Flubber. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. No, he's Classic. in a lot of movies. I've seen. In the That's theater. He's in the assassination of of Jesse James by the Cairo Rapper Ford. American Gangster. Mm-hmm. Hills Have Eyes. He is in Hills of Eyes. Ali, the Manchurian candidate. And Hills Have Eyes, though, he's not a bad guy, right? Isn't he the father of the family? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think he is. I did want to uh, go back a little bit to the introduction of Hannibal Lecter just because this, oh, this is one of the movies that I guess once I started knowing what the art of cinema, quote-unquote, is, <laughs> it really um, was the first movie that I learned about like blocking and scene dynamics. And like it was the introduction that Jodie Foster and... Lecter. And, yeah, and Lecter. Um, are look, they're both standing in when they first meet each other, and it seems like they're both on 
even playing even playing field. So they're kind of like I, I, to compare it, I guess it would kind of be like a lion and a lion looking at each other. So they're, they're kind of both kind of learning from each other, kind of figure out each other. But then there's a moment that Jodie Foster sits down and so then kind of in a way submissing herself the way that a smaller dog would to a bigger dog. And then that's when he just starts wailing on her. And that's when he starts like really showing you as in the audience why he is Dr. Hannibal Lecter, why he is methodical in his way and why he's just insane. Because this man, I mean, and they even say, like, he's brilliant. Like, he's one of the most brilliant people that there is. Mm-hmm. He's just trapped in an insane person's mind or whatever I mean, they say. This is why they're talking to him. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're not talking to Migs. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Migs ain't talking to anybody either. But, uh, no, like, this scene is really crazy. And I guess uh, I was reading that, you know, when he starts hurling out some of the greatest insults I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I guess terrible insults I've ever heard in my life. That when he was picking apart her accent, that was all um, improv. Really? So when he was, like, making fun of her West Virginia accent, like, the look on her face when he's doing that is genuine. That's interesting. Okay, because I was reading that Anthony Hopkins is, like, very anal about the lines, Mm. right? So that he's big on the idea of that if you give me the script, it better not fucking change. Interesting. Because I'm going to learn these lines and do them 200 times. So, and the reason he does that, and I think the reason it works so well, is because he wants to embody the character to a point where, like, I doesn't sound like I'm doing lines. Like, I'm just speaking and coming up with this, kind of sounding like it is improv. Yeah. So, I just find that to be interesting. That You, you can't sequences. fuck with my shit, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, because <laughs> I've heard that he's had fallout with directors before, and, like, he's been quite confrontational with directors who try to change the script halfway through. But... If that is true that he really did improv that, yeah, that's like, that'd be that's, crazy. That was a good time yeah. to walk away from that, you know, th- to not die on that hill. Of like, no, oh, the for real, needs to stay the same. Um, yeah, dude, that scene is fucking just. Is it the best scene in movies? Like, probably. It's one of them. <laughs> one of the most iconic, for I think sure. So. It's one. Of them. Um, I like it from the inst- like from the jump. Like we get our introduction to Chilton. What a douche. He's the worst character what in this movie. What a douche, yeah. Like, I love how in the end that that's who Hannibal's going after. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, he even says, he's like, he considers me his nemesis. <laughs> I'm having an old friend for that. Um, yeah, the, the walking down the hallway of the prison to get to Lecter is like just... Ugh, it's so chilling, dude. And just like how Malignant kind of reminded me of Arkham, this movie kind of reminds me yeah. of Arkham Asylum, where it's like Batman walking down the hallways, and yep. it's just all these fucking nutbags left and right. And I just love it because you finally get to Lecter, and all these other prisoners are in like a traditional like jail cell, and then Lecter has like this crazy bulletproof glass they with some holes cut in it. Case, yeah, bro. exactly. He's like, almost, it even like looks clean too. Mm-hmm. And he's standing there just waiting. Yeah. He, he he does give off this aura that he is otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he does have superpowers. He almost you know seems I mean? like, and the movie almost treats him like he is all-knowing, kind of. It's very it's very interesting. I think in the way that he said sets up that he's actually really, really smart. But then I've, there's always been this thing of, like, people, I mean, there is disease, like, peon diseases of, like, cannibal on cannibal or, like, meat on meat eaters. But it, it is also, like supposedly makes people a little insane which i always did really appreciate about this movie i think he gets it almost seems like he has another otherworldly outlook because he eats like people and whether he thinks he's superior to that or not obviously he's insane for thinking that but he almost embodies that thought and almost seems otherworldly because of that yeah that's true Dude, this is the. Can we talk about the insults and him just breaking down Clarice? Yeah, and using I mean, his psycholo- his psychi- psychiatric powers to just dismantle her. Yep. <laughs> she's never been before. 
Um, so what really like gets him off is when he finds out that she's a student of Jack Crawford, mm-hmm. and he's like, he he, it's like Finding Nemo, dude. He smells the blood, and his eyes turn black. You know, he's like, hold up, they sent a student. Ooh, barbecue chicken alert. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, you think you can pick me apart? He's like, check this out, dude. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like the ability to break somebody down like that within the first few minutes of meeting them would be terrible. We've been talking about the uh, like off pod, like just kind of hilarious this scene is too like because i had been mentioning that he is like ridiculously op and he has these he kind of does have these abilities that and maybe they're because of the cannibalism or something but it's slightly convenient that he could like i could smell you you know what i mean and i think it's supposed to lean into like the fact that he's more animalistic because he eats the meat. So it's mm-hmm. like, he's got the nose of a wolf. You yeah. Know? It's like Evian skin cream and la air de temp, but not today. But not today. Like you can <laughs> smell what you wore yesterday. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, okay. Like, oh, whatever, but whatever. I'm willing to look past that for the sake of that would movie. fucking disturb me. Like if you, if you could tell me what I'm wearing right now, like I would be, that'd be yeah. All right. What's all right. the Adidas cologne called? <laughs> oh, shit, I can't remember. Is it just Adidas cologne? Yeah, I just think it's just Adidas <laughs> yeah. cologne. You wear Adidas cologne and eat hot Cheetos, yeah. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> How'd you know? That's like a dog, for real. Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, it's those animal powers, bro. He unlocked them. No, and this, the stuff that he says about her accent and just throwing shade at her dad, and you end up finding out, you know, how much her dad really meant her. It's you guys just, it's do a some lot. Hannibal Lecter impressions? Yeah, ahead, let's Nate. do let it. See. Let me hear your Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! He, what did he say? He said something like, "What you got the West Virginia accent? Was your daddy a coal miner?" What about you, bro? Did, you got one for us? Give nah, us, us good, come I'm on, give good. us a Hannibal. Did he stink of I'm the good. lamp? <laughs> no, I think my favorite insult though in all of movies is you look like a rude. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus! What do you? What does that mean? I have to Google that. Yeah, oh, fuck. Damn. Damn. <laughs> with your with your cheap bag and your nice shoes. And your nice shoes. Damn. You're one generation removed from poor white trash. God damn. Uh, what else is it? The, the fumbling stick. What is it? The sticky fumbling. He's in the, the back of like, huh? <laughs> Working all your way to get to the FBI. You eat his liver with uh, fava beans and a, a nice, nice candy. candy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. Like, what are you doing? Oh, man. But then we finally get this break in the scene where she, Clarice kind of s- steps over a line. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, Hannibal Lecter, for being a cannibal, sure has. A lot of social etiquette. He has some manners, yeah. He's classy. He is classy. What does he tell her? He tells her something along the lines of, like, you were doing so well, and then you kind of just, like, rushed in head first. Yeah, he said said something like, uh, you were being courteous and were open to courtesy, and, yeah, something like that. He likes, uh, I wouldn't call it courting, but... He likes the small talk. He does like the formal conversation. It's because he wants to get inside people's heads, you know what I mean? It's a psychiatrist in him, right? It is, yeah. And he does, he... at this moment, like from the beginning of this scene, he's willing to give Clarice some information. And I never really understood why he was so attracted to her. I mean, I know they, okay, they use her because she's a woman, right? right. They think that maybe this will um, get him interested in a different way than it would if he was talking to a man. But like later on in the movie, when Clarice comes back and he's, he's like the silencing of the lamb. Like he literally mm-hmm. like says, like, do you see her, still hear the he lamb scream? Yeah. He's crying when he's talking about Clarice. And I just find that so interesting. And maybe it's in the novel, which I've... Yeah. I asked my wife, I'm like, would you read this? And she's like, yeah, I, I think I want to read this. I've seen about that too. Um, I do want to know why he just has this 
connection to Clarice, which I think I wouldn't say it's a negative part of the movie, but it's not something I truly understand even after all these rewatches. The way that I've always kind of like looked at that, because I've thought about that too. It's like, why does he take such a big interest? Is It's like, you got to think like he has nothing to do. Like he literally, he's literally just been in that room for eight years probably. And all of a sudden, like this is kind of fallen on his doorstep. So I think he kind of takes an interest and she, and he, he even says personally, like he finds her interesting. He says like, uh, it would be interesting to know you in private life. Like, uh, so he tells her he's like, the world is much better with you. And yeah. So for whatever reason, like I, I don't really know exactly why, but he's obviously interested in her. Like she is smart and she does play her cards very well. And, Hand, like he comes across as a person that is like I'm impressed by this yeah. like let's see how far we can take this kind of thing you know what I mean so I'm not sure I always take it as because he's so smart he also understands that but the position that she's in they're like oh they they took a student and they brought her in here and the fact that they even thought she might have a chance like maybe I should like he could aid in her becoming as good as he thinks she can be exactly yeah it's like, I, like well, I will give you the answers and now they have to respect you because i only give you the answers but he is thoroughly impressed that this small girl is what the fbi is sending to get at him i think he's almost like can she do this like i'm really curious the like, answers because he tells her i mean he tells her a lot of things but he never flat out outright gives her the f- like the final truth, because, you know what I mean? And I, that's what I was going to say is Jodie Foster's character also is really smart. And it's like she knows when he's trying to derail her, too. And the fact that she calls him out on it, and that's when he's impressed with. Because we're like, oh, at first I thought you were just like a lamb. But it just seems like we're actually more on an even playing field than anybody else that I've talked to. So I've always kind of taken it as, like you said, he just seems to have, like, we're both from the same you know, same two peas in a pod mm-hmm. and he just respects her. So um, I, I wanted to ask you guys this, like maybe the first time you guys have ever seen this or just upon rewatches, were you really ever interested in the story of Hannibal Lecter? Like I need to know why he got here. And Honestly, I, I was curious. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was very and have curious. you guys seen the other movies? I've seen I've seen Hannibal. I've seen Red Dragon. I've seen a little bit of the Hannibal show, which is actually pretty decent. Mads Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen. He's good in it, but I haven't caught I haven't like kept up with that. But they're interesting. Like I think he is a very interesting character. I saw Red Red Dragon like uh, like during that time too. I don't remember much of it though. And then I watched Manhunter because I wanted to see more of Hannibal Lecter. So I, I mean, I would be interested in reading the book too. Honestly, I I think he is my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. And this is my from what I've seen. Obviously, like I said, I haven't seen every single piece of media that he's in. But this is my favorite version of Hannibal Lecter. I would say. Mm-hmm. I like, mean, that's not. That's not a hot take for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, but I think most people would agree. Yeah, right? I think so too. Um, we can move off that scene for a bit. Talk a little about Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Yes. Eesh. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're not. I, I can't even say that. <laughs> so he, he uh, he's he's at the school of Ted Bundy, right? <laughs> yeah, he's like a weird combination of like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Ed Gein, like making the woman suits. Just like the just like Jesus Christ and Benedetta, he tucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does tuck. He does tuck. Um, I honestly, I think he's a very interesting character. Like, I really do the whole idea behind like the metamorphosis and all the clues that are kind of laid out yeah. behind like his psyche. I find very interesting. Okay, so I do think this is a perfect movie, but one of the things that kind of feels like it's bad taste is this idea of like that he's, uh, he's. Well, they say transvestite, which is the term that they used to use back then. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know when's the last time somebody heard, actually heard that term. But 
it kind of just feels like in bad taste because even uh, Jodie Foster says she's like most like trans sexual people are passive. So like for him to be a serial killer, it must be something deeper than his own like cycles, right. psychosexual trauma. And then I think Hannibal Lecter ends up agreeing and he's like, he thinks he's this, but that's not what he is. Yeah. Like he's using that as he like a, that. as like a ruse to justify his killings. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's interesting. Like I, I would be very interested to see this movie come out nowadays. It would it, exactly. And see the reception by, you know, that community. But like no Oscars, no. But no, I, I, I no do two hundred million dollars. <laughs> none of that. I do think that the movie, like, like in that part with Hannibal Lecter, it does a good job in like being like, no, this is not a normal case of that. Like, this is somebody that is deeply like fucked up. You know what I mean? And he says through violence and trauma and all that. So, <laughs> I just, uh, I think the Buffalo Bill character is uh, just very unsettling. Right? Extremely like, from creepy. That first sequence of the girl like she's singing american girl it's just dude his voice in the bag. yeah i mean i don't even want to do the voice because i feel like it could be borderline offensive to yeah try to <laughs> no i'm not the, <laughs> to do the, the voice. voice is terrifying but, uh, he go he pulls the the school of ted bundy he uses the the, the broken arm and the mm-hmm. furniture to like oh can you help me because that's what ted bundy used to you were right? size 14 to, yeah exactly <laughs> oh my God. he's like are you a size 14 um, which to me kind of like I, the older i got and the more I rewatched it, I was like, why does he care about the clothes, right? Because he doesn't even end up using them. It's And then I was like, oh, shit, it's because he's trying he's to, like, the yeah, suit. he's going to make suit. it fit him, right? Mm-hmm. But the meat suit, it, I don't understand it. Like, what was he going for here? That's what A I full think, meat suit? That's why I think um, what Nate is saying of them identifying that it's not him just being trans. It's him just being a weirdo trying to get a meat suit and be like, oh, now I'm going to become a woman. Like, it's not really... You trying to be actually what the definition of trans is. Actually, it's what you think it is because you're a psycho. And it's that's, that's the part that I always thought, too. What did he really think? Like, he was, it was going to look real? Like, like he was never. Yeah, no, I don't know. Like, he was going to wear this out in public? That's why he's crazy. But that's why he's literally I don't a know. psychopath. But the meat suit brings me to a trope we had talked about in another episode, which is seeing the antagonist workshop yeah <laughs> yeah right? no like exactly insidious, yeah insidious malignant yep. uh jeepers creepers mm-hmm. and we had talked about even jeepers creepers just totally ripping off this aspect of like the evil thing making making meat suits, meat suits which yeah. is like what is he trying to do in jeepers creepers either you know i think yeah i don't know he's just a demon in that <laughs> one oh <laughs> devil stuff the slight, the slight stuff i remember from the second jeepers creepers <laughs> he makes like weapons out of the bodies mm, is that what he does bones and stuff yeah interesting he threw, like, yeah Tight. That's crazy. I always remember, um, let's stay on Jeepers Creepers for a tiny bit longer. Um, I always remember from either the second or third one, the one with the school bus full of second football players, second one, yeah. and he uses the like uh, ninja star that's, made that's, out of like teeth. Yeah, yeah. it's teeth. That's what I'm talking or about. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, because it it's the belly button of a person. <laughs> Jesus Ooh, Christ! It's the belly button of a person that had a tattoo, and then it's like teeth. It, well, it wasn't bone; it was teeth. That's yeah. gnarly. <laughs> that's what I was talking about. But like, that's why he like strips them. He takes like their eyes. Yeah, I mean. To that, make cool gear. That's so nasty. Gear. That movie has uh, cool aspects as well, but not yeah. as good as this movie. That's no. Sure. Are you sure? Do you want to argue this right now? Do we turn this into a Jeepers Creepers episode? I do want to keep. I do want to keep talking about Buffalo Bill a little bit because I think it's interesting, like to compare like him and Hannibal Lecter, because obviously like they're mm-hmm. both serial killers, but on like the total opposite sides of the spectrum, and like it seems like Hannibal Lecter, like he knows exactly who he is and like what he wants. And then you have this other serial killer, Buffalo Bill, where I also, I really like the part where Hannibal Lecter is like talking about him and who he thinks Buffalo Bill is. And he's like, 
you know, I imagine he's tried to be a lot of things. Like, he probably he does not know who he is. And for whatever reason, this is what he fell into. You know what I mean? And, like, I don't know. It's just some. It's something that you really can't break down and understand. Like, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. You know I what I mean? even the surface level uh, differences between them are, like, the fact that Hannibal Lecter is so classy. Right, and clean. And cell looks perfect. And then you go into Buffalo Bill's house and there's... You know, 10 days worth of old Chinese food boxes. Melted corpses in the tub. Ugh, Jesus. That reveal is yeah, nasty. so good. So yeah, good. no, it yeah. is. That's pure horror cinema. It is. That moment, at least. You, that's a, that's a haunted house. That. No. You're like, you're like, what? That's a haunted that's house. Disgusting. Yeah. I will say that even up until the... I really like that this movie... Not... I mean, the script, obviously, you know that they're gonna, they're trying to hunt someone else. That's why they're talking to Hannibal Lecter. But, like, visually, it doesn't really set up that Buffalo Bill is really the villain up until like 30 minutes into the movie. And then I, I think Nate had done a good job of saying like in this movie, you never really feel safe for a second. And then just when you're like, Oh, well, you know, Hannibal's locked. And then you kind of get introduced to Buffalo bill and then how, yeah, he's like Ted Bundy. Like he can grab anybody. He's going after these big girls and they can't find a motive. And it's just like, again, you feel unsafe for every second there's always something else like it feels like this popping up or you're never actually in the clear yeah i agree um i also want to talk about uh the the plan of like what the fbi thinks they're going to do right Mm -hmm. so they think that they can continue to use hannibal for like as an information source and they trick him into thinking that they're going to cut him a deal yeah which i think also well, I don't think also. I think it's a mistake because it messes with the dynamic of the movie. You know, like he has a good thing with Starling, but then you make Starling throw him this fake offer of that he'll get to go to this island. And then later on he brings it up. He's like, Anthrax Island. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, that's a nice touch. Was that you? And she's like, yes, it was. <laughs> and at that point, it's like there, he has such a level of respect for her that he understands. Like, I, I get why. He's like, damn, you got me. Yeah, and you did get me. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk about some more of the unsettling Hannibal stuff because I think it happens after the introduction of Buffalo Bill. Like Mm -hmm. we had talked about uh, when he meets the Senator. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Did you breastfeed your daughter? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Nate. I want to hear you No, say I'm it. good. I'm going to pass on it. <laughs> Did it toughen Dude. your nipples? <laughs> <laughs> this like, is one of the most unsettling things I've ever heard, which is uh, when he, what does he say? Like, when he kills your daughter, what part will tickle you, yeah. mother? Yeah. He's like, he's like, when a man loses a leg, you can still feel the tickling. He's like, <laughs> when you lose your daughter, what, what, will, what will part of you will tickle or whatever the fuck he says? It's fucked up. And then he drops the love you suit. Love you suit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the eyes. And I do think that that scene specifically has carried on throughout all media as the most iconic because when you think Hannibal Lecter, and even if you haven't seen it, you think the orange jumpsuit, the and face the mask. Yeah, yep. it's yeah. that's very um, Arkham, like you said, when they're carrying him down. In like, the, yeah, like bringing in the Joker. Joker. Right? Yeah. yeah. I just that that really is like a real manifestation of that type of energy. That is happened before. Bro, if they made this now, players. it'd be like Hannibal Lecter would be like, "We live in a society." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. It's every every little out outburst he has like that, where they just let him go off for a couple seconds or a minute or anything, are just so impactful in this. Movie. It's because it's a reminder of the monster that he yeah. truly is, and the fact that you have him. This is why he's locked up. 
But yes, it's because he's a cannibal. But it's like, look how unhinged he is. And like going back to the beginning, since we're already since we're talking about this stuff, when Chilton shows uh, Starling the photo, and he's like, "We left him alone in the infirmary," oh, and look yeah. what he did to her face. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't show it because I'm sure it's disgusting, but it's just that it it's just letting you know that. If we were to let him go for two seconds, like this guy's a monster, like a real movie monster, like more than Buffalo Bill, even. And it, you you get to see that too. It's yeah. the same energy that um, you have when you see the videos of somebody in the lions, like with like uh, fucking what was his crazy name from Oklahoma? Tiger oh, King. Joe Exotic. It's like or you're like, oh, like yes, he knows how to talk to the tiger, but the second the tiger decides to like fuck this, like he could just decimate yeah. you. Who would have thought we'd bring up Tiger King talking about <laughs> <Sasuke> <laughs> <Island>. <laughs> Nice. But it's just because they're caged up, and it just reminds you of that dynamic that his room may look clean, he may come off as a gentleman, but because of that, he is he is smarter than you, and he does know how to. Well, he's pretty strong, apparently. Yeah, he really yeah, is. Just, okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about this, his OP strength. Yeah. And it comes from the animal meat, right? I'm, I the mean, same way that to be, to be fair, the human meat, the same way Gabriel can turn off the inhibitors <laughs> in your brain. No, I mean, like, the, like I, I, I don't even know what inhibitors meant. When they're like, I don't, what is it? A brain? Anyways. But I was going to say, there is, there is, people do think that there's like all, like all meat diets and stuff like that. All those people are bodybuilders. Like Liver King? Do yeah, you know who liver yeah, and I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Exactly like that. We're doing simulated hunts this morning, brother. But I was gonna say there is uh, because it's very like animalistic to eat meat on meat. It it makes I guess it makes sense that he would. It also is the fact that he is really smart. So I'm sure it's like some things may come off of brute strength, but he might literally just know what's the weakest part of your skin to pull on or whatever, and yeah. all of those intric- intricacies because he's so smart. So I don't yeah. know. No, and that whole scene, like, the only thing I will give that scene is, like, you don't know how long it really took. Like, we have no idea how long he was really up there for with those people doing oh, all are that. We talking about, are we talking about no, that we're in. No, we're in the scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're there. We're talking about how we're he there. strings up a grown man who's, in like, his, 200 pounds Yeah, in his great escape, but <laughs> <laughs> escape from Alcatraz. I mean, if I thought of Hannibal Lecter, I'd think of him as, like, a lion or a tiger. No, for real. Because, like, that scene, like... The first, the first few times I saw it, like, I didn't have the whole thought of, like, how the fuck did he do this? Like, I, mo- I more took it as, like, wow, like, look at this guy who's willing. He, like, he's going to take the time to create something almost beautiful out of this <laughs> terrible, horrible murder. You know what I mean? Like, it just kind of plays into his psyche, I feel like. And almost, like, in my head, that's almost more of he does that as a distraction so that people aren't really paying attention to what he's really doing. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. But it, uh, it really makes no fucking sense. What I wanted to bring up about that scene is I think it's one of the only parts of the movie that kind of has bad writing. And it's when the officers discover that Hannibal Lecter has escaped. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's got the guy strung up. The other guy's on the floor. And he's like, is that Sergeant Pembry? Yeah. And then the kid, the, he tells the kid, he's like, talk to him. He's like, what do I say? He's like, that's Pembry, damn, damn it. it. <laughs> Am I supposed to take something away from that? Because like, it's not like this has been a character that was important to the movie. But I just, I, I just thought that was a, f- no, a funny, funny part of the movie because I'm like, why are we putting this emphasis on Pembury? And then it really gets out of hand because it's like you can't tell that he's wearing a skin mask. He's got different color hair. <laughs> the guy had brown hair. He has gray. Oh, whatever. I gotta break down this scene. I, I love this scene. I think it's super effective and it's probably one of the great like uh, shock reveals in it movies. Is. 
but just so much of it doesn't make any sense, bro. Like, like, cause like, okay. So like part of me wants to talk shit on the officers for not realizing it. But the first time I saw it, I didn't fucking realize yeah, no, it either. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. It, it is a rewatch thing. It right? is. It's like the more you watch it, you just can't help. Like, but come on. The yeah. Sides of it. Yeah. It's like, he's got that key right between his finger and it's like, they give us the visual cue, but I mean, and I'm sure cops don't do this because they're incompetent, but <laughs> be like, you didn't check it. You don't check their hands when you're handcuffing them to make sure that they don't have yeah. anything. Like, I mean, I'm not a cop, but if I was arresting somebody, I think that'd be the first thing I would check. Like, yep. Let me see your hands, bro. What do you got between them? This was a little salt. Well, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> I was one time I got pulled over around the house and I had I had a pocket knife on me and they started to search me and I was able to literally like move it around my hand like. Let me see this side, like, through my pockets. I threw it on my right hand. And then they're like, let me see this hand. I threw it back to my left hand. And they literally didn't get it. Like, so, not talking like, oh, I was slick. I just think they sometimes realistically think, oh, you're not, like, you're not swift enough to do that. And Sheesh, like, I didn't know I was sitting next to Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> something as small as a key, just because it does, I just think it's their incompetence. I, I yeah. yeah. to that. No, that's exactly And then I wanted is. to talk about how he, he you know, he, he attacks he kicks the door, which he, is like that doesn't that doesn't seem like enough force to completely incapacitate the guy, right? Well, because he, he grabs his face, he bites yeah. him, and the guy never even like attempts to fight back either. No. Like, maybe he's just in so much shock. He's got eight, yeah, that he's being eaten. But I mean, if I'm putting myself in that world, I'm like, I think I would at least try to like grab my gun. You know what I mean? Like, Hand, maybe yeah, try to pistol dude. whip or something. But Hannibal likes it raw, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he would that shit. Definitely. Yes, he does. He's a raw meat kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when he when he pepper sprays the other dude, I mean, come on. Do we all know how pepper spray Splashback. works? Flashback. <laughs> <laughs> you're like a foot away from it, whatever. Uh, yeah. So to me, this is where the movie, this is the only part of the movie really that jumps into the ridiculousness of the world. And it's such a grounded movie otherwise, mm. even though it deals with such unbelievable subject matter. No, I think I, I think a lot of that is just trying to finally show you what this Hannibal character is It's the culmination capable of, of everything that's been You know, building, because, right? like, also, like, who the fuck talks like this? Like, who behaves like this? You know what I mean? So I think it just kind of goes to show, like, this man can do this shit. I will but. say it's effective because even in the, the first audience member, like, or the first viewing that, like, they don't think he. They don't think it's not his face because they don't even see another person he ripped his face off from. And what he did is he goes dumps it in the elevator, and then he knows that they're like, "Oh, they're gonna think I'm right there." He's planned like ten steps ahead of these guys, and then they find out, "Oh, this guy doesn't have a face." So then, boom, and then he's getting up in the ambulance. It's just he's ten steps ahead of everybody every single time, and it's because he's methodical. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is the the blacklist, like I had talked about, like where it's like <laughs> I know everything. Actually, it was the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's it's op, and it has it to be. You know what I mean? It's like you, really OP. Gotta, you can't you can't build them up like this and then not have this type of some crazy like. thing happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, it's also just a great scene. It's like so tense. It's well shot. You know, um, I don't love cops, but I do love when they have scenes of them like all rushing in at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They got the boots, and then even when they break into the room, they do like their Power Rangers pose. You know what I mean? Yeah. One's facing the door, two facing left and right. Yep. It just it looks like choreographed, you know. The SWAT team comes. He's like, "Okay, boys." It's just it's and we just have funny. seen earlier in the movie, and it it comes back later during the Buffalo Bill scene is the the training that Clarice goes through. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't check the corners when she enters the room. So you they, I get why they have to do the pose, you know, yeah. even though it it looks silly. Yeah. In a movie that is very much not silly. No, it's not silly at all. <laughs> yeah, but it could be right. Doesn't this movie feel like? It's one step away from being like just too outlandish. 
Could be. Yeah. It is like it is real life cranked up to the most extreme for sure. These are the kind of cases where like you're a cop and you come home and you're like, I don't want to talk about my work. No, you the, knew the things that I seen. This is the know? case that like, you know, quote unquote like haunts me throughout my career, you know. <laughs> I know, dude. When I was watching this, I told my wife, I was like, Sheesh, this was just like her thesis. Yeah, to exactly. graduate college. Like, could you imagine what other horrible things she goes through after this? Like, like you can you'll be fine. Is everything cake after <laughs> exactly. this. Like I've already dealt with Lecter. Mm-hmm. Oh, incredible movie. So good, dude. dude. Yeah, um, so good. Do you guys want to talk about that? We have to talk about the Buffalo Bill scene, right? Yeah, the end. Yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, this kind of ends up taking us to, yeah, I mean, we end up thinking at this point that the FBI has, because Clarice at this point has finally discovered what he's using the skin for, right? She's making the suits. Because um, she went to, she went back to the first victim and found all that. And at this time, she calls, you know, uh, Jack, and, you know, she's like, I know what he's doing. But he's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. We got him. He's outside of Chicago. And so you're like, okay, maybe you feel a little safe for the first time. But, like, no, you can't because it's not over, right? And then she ends up going, and she finds Buffalo Bill's house. And Okay, I'm probably just dumb here, but they're in Chicago. Where is she? I honestly don't know exactly where that is. Somewhere else in Illinois, though. Is it? it yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. Well, I guess I just miss this every time. How does she stumble upon his house? Like, how so does she, she find his house? She, she thinks it's somebody else's house too. I come to uh, one of the names that she gets from where she first. She's goes. she's looking for because she finds that girl who at the diner, right? The the first girl who got killed, and then she finds like that she like that she was into sewing and stuff like that, right? And then she finds out that she used to associate with that Jamie Gum guy. That's what it was. And that's that's Buffalo Bill. And so she goes to the parents' house. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be, like, his parents' house or something. And so she goes there looking for anybody that can, like, tell her about Jamie it's Gum. the owner of the shop or something Something like that. Like he that. tells her, he's like, I got the house after she died. Yeah, and then so she goes there, and he just, that's where he is. I did, I was going to say that that's one of the best editing, edited scenes yes, I've seen. Because, because, oh, so good. Yeah, he's like, you shout you out think, Craig McKay, that's think, the editor. Yeah, you, you think it's them, and, oh, my God, it's her. Show up by herself. You, you get Jack Crawford and all the other FBI agents and the SWAT team running up to the house and they knock on the door and the door opens and it's Buffalo Bill. And, and then you it, get the, the ring on his side. And then it flips and it's Clarice and she's there by herself. This They're is, at the wrong house. This sequence is oh. great movie making. Yeah. Like this, this is movie is, making and this oof. is the power of editing what you can do with it. Like that reveal oh. because you as the audience member are like, oh, they, they did they it. Got like, okay, it's probably going to end in some... Like shootout anticlimactic shootout. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, eh, okay, I guess the ending might suck in this movie. They're just going to get him or whatever. But then that reveal is so just haunting. She walks Every time into the lines it, then. He opens it and he's like, oh, she's face to face with Buffalo Bill. And she mm-hmm. doesn't even know it yet. And you can slowly, and then you, you end up see when she finally puts it together. And oh my God, dude. I do like this little side note from Buffalo Bill that he has the little fluffy dog. But then it's, it's always precious. like, it's always that a monster like that has a vulnerability mm-hmm. and it gets, it gets used. You know what I mean? Even and Hitler like dogs, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, like his, his one vulnerability, vulnerability, liking that pet almost gets him like the, the victim almost it like fucks up his plan. Really? Yeah, it does. It's a weird choice too, because usually neck, serial mister. killers, it's like, that's their first step is that they kill animals, animals and stuff yeah. like that. Also, did you notice the Nazi imagery laying yeah. around his house? He's yeah. got like a Nazi blankets and like Nazi that's, propaganda. That's why, like, when you look all over the house, you see these different, like, weird, like, social groups. And I think that plays back into what Lecter was talking about. It's like he's tried to be a lot of different things, things but yeah. nothing's worked out. 
Being so, a Nazi didn't really work for me. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, so I just ended up <laughs> making meat suits instead. <laughs> the mind of a psychopath, am I right? Oh. Like I thought it was racism, but it was deeper than that. <laughs> <laughs> my evil transcends race. Yeah, exactly. I hate all of you equally. Oh, my God. <laughs> Danny McBride in fucking, uh, what's the show? The baseball show that he's in? Oh, he's bound down. Yeah, I'd be like, things I've been through, I've transcended race homes. <laughs> 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 oh, but, yeah, that scene is where the el- the horror is just elevated and cranked to the highest level. Mm-hmm. It's like, if this is a machine, they've turned it to 11. All you know? the way up. You know what? It is really uncomfortable is the whole, I, I guess, iconic Buffalo Bill scene, though, is the whole, uh, would you fuck me? Yeah. Like, hey, can that be the soundbite? <laughs> it could be. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me. Oh, no, it, it could be. I think. I mean, it's just a rated R word. I think we should be fine. But that's what's funny is Anchor um, doesn't care. They're not listening. If <laughs> if it's like <laughs> if it's um done, that's like one of the scenes where I agree with you. If it's done another way, it's almost too comedic for what's going on. But you at that point, you're like, oh, this guy is creepy. Like and Jack Jackass Four forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is disgusting. Yeah, he's weird as fuck. You know, and I I did like that you brought up the imagery of the stuff. Behind. That's what every single time I pay more attention to what is. Laying around, dude. House. When you've seen a movie like ten times, you have to start paying yeah, attention yeah. to the other stuff. I'm like, I'm not even looking like, at the middle of it. Now I'm looking yeah, at the side of the like screen. I, oh yeah. Or when you when you know it so much, you're like, I'm not really paying attention to the dialogue because I know everything that yeah. they're saying. Or I'm, I know the story. It doesn't matter it, it, the details it, it, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially for this one, I did feel the same way. Oh man, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? A lot. I've seen this at least ten times. It's probably ten plus, easy. I've seen this movie a lot. This is a movie I showed a lot of people too. So, <laughs> fuckers. you're a disciple of the you lamb. fuckers. Yeah, exactly. want to see something fucked up. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's man. it's it's a it won its awards for a reason. It still holds up really well. I mean, it's not that old, but yeah, I mean, it's almost I, as old as us, or it's older than us. It is older than us. Yeah, barely. But I mean, I was gonna say, I think this is a perfect movie. This is in my top ten. No, I this can't. is one of the all-time greats. And I think, like... Uh, if you're saying it's not, you're just saying You're honestly fucking like, wrong. I, I do not believe you. This yeah. is not a subjective movie to me. I mean, maybe it's, like, too disturbing for you or something, maybe. That's but fine. this is a f- phenomenal movie. I just think it goes everywhere it can go. Like you said, there is even a debate if you don't want to consider it a horror movie. But to me, it's just so solidified. I would die on the hill, like you guys said. I mean, there, every time they would, like... I would go and see images of the montages of Hollywood monsters. It always has Hannibal Lecter being with his, like, you know, half thing on his face and in the orange jumpsuit. He's and I just think it's completely iconic. Just so everything about this. I mean, even the Death's Head Moss is iconic. Now, like, every yeah. douchebag has that tattooed on their neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm just I don't have one, but I know quite a few people who do. I know. I, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think that was a really cool thing that they did throw out the whole thing, like moths and butterflies and transformation. Like, there's a lot of themes here that you can dissect in terms of. Of the way that he leaves the guy hung up is in kind of like in a crucifixion type of way, and then there's all those religious themes. And I mean, there's it's just very so it's there, but I don't think that it's prevalent the way that a modern movie would. Oh be. yeah, no, you no. know, like it's it's not that it's heavy handed, but I, I don't know why I keep going back to men. It's probably because it's the latest horror movie we've seen, but it's not doing that. No, it's so much more mainstream than that and surface level too. I think I would say that he almost leaves him in that way for you to think of him in a holy way. Not like that's the only cue to like you for think that like, um, Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter is almost godlike and he's sacrificing this, this guy's a sacrifice just like, you know, and 
What I, a fucking interesting time for movies, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I was looking at this, I'm like, damn, based that the Oscars did this. You know what I mean? Like, I this movie would not win today. No, no way. Just no like, horror yeah. movie would sweep the Oscars Just like The today. Exorcist, like we talked about it. For some reason, there was just some years where they were like, Once you know in a while, they do something really cool like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'd have to look back at all Oscars, but I think this might be the coolest thing I've seen at the Oscars. The fact that this movie... Made cleaned or just cleaned house, house yeah. like that. I mean, it's like it's almost like how uh, I mean, the cool thing they did this year was Dune winning a bunch of awards, even though it didn't yeah. win the ones we wanted it to yeah. win. It still won. It's cool like, to see it get recognition, like that. yeah. It's like it's too good to be denied, it is, is what I would say. Like, that's what like this movie really is. Like, I mean, you can and people have done full on fucking case studies on the characters in this movie, yeah. like they're real people, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 you impressive. couldn't even have the Batman that we have now without this movie either. That's no. another thing, yeah. Is that it's it's still influencing or like it's so pop culture mainstream that it's even influencing big budget superhero epics. Yeah, still to this day, and it probably will for at least another thirty or forty more years. I don't think this movie will ever die. Honestly, I think this movie will be around for a long ass. This time. is one of the other movies. I think Malignant's the only one <laughs> that that isn't. But they're all part of ended up being franchises built off of them by how good they were. Like you guys were talking about the TV show. And you have Red Dragon and every, all the prequels. Yeah, I mean, that just all spawns. This is a well that they keep going to. Mm-hmm. It's like just a never-ending source of water for them. <laughs> because they're, they're so interesting characters. Like, in a world where Hannibal Lecter exists, who is his nemesis? Who is possibly living there? Almost the same way, like, Batman's rogue. Like, there's hey, so many. R.I.P. Ray Liotta, because do you guys know that yeah. he's in one of the other ones? Yeah. See where he gets his head in his brain? Yeah, and they're, like, poking around and eating some of it and stuff. Oh, like, he feeds man. him his own brain. Yeah, <laughs> oh and then God. another, like, so R.I.P. Ray Liotta, I just wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's that's one of the movies I seen him in when I was really young. Like, even before Goodfellas, I think I had seen him in uh, either Red Dragon or Hannibal. I can't remember. I think it's one. Hannibal. Um Another moment that I wanted to bring up, though, and it's from the sequels, is when he feeds the piece of brain to the little kid on the airplane. Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, that's fucked up, fucked, dude. right? Jesus. The other movies are not very good. No, no. They, well, yeah, they're not that great. And as great as Anthony Hopkins is of an actor, this man will take a paycheck. Yeah. The war movies. Yeah. Uh, the other Hannibal movies. You know what I mean? Like, he's not be the Wolfman. Because I the think. Right, he's not beyond right, taking dude. a check. So bad. But even though he's one of the greats. He's like, I think out of all the sequels, I probably enjoy Red Dragon the most. Or prequels or whatever the fuck you want. Like, whatever they are. I think I do like Red Dragon the most. <laughs> I also wanted to say that this is one of those movies just like The Exorcist, where this is like a rite of passage. Yeah. Where if you haven't seen this, someone will show you it's this. It's like, well, we're not going out anymore. We're going to stay home and watch this <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, so I think so. Order I mean, that's what, you, that's what you did with their friend. Yeah, that's true. One of my, yeah, one of my friend's sisters was visiting and hanging out, and uh, she had never seen Silence of the Lambs, and Roe was open. We're literally like, all right, well, we're watching that right Both now. Both like, what? And so we watched it, and she's like, that was really fucking good. She it's was like, so yeah. her eyes were peeled the whole time that's watching it, you know? That's how I felt the know? first time I watched it, too. I was like, dude. The, the reveal kidding? when Lecter took his face off, she was like, oh, yeah. my God. It's like, I so It's so much fun to watch. Or somebody it like is. That, it know? really is. All time great, bro. For real. Um, the last thing I really wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you guys have some other stuff, is uh, like the box office and just how movies were different then. So this movie was a sleeper hit. It was only made for 19 million, which is like a mid budget movie back mm-hmm. then, right? But it makes. Uh, let me see. I have I have the actual numbers, but it starts off small. And it uh, it opens on Valentine's Day of 1991, <laughs> right? Sick. Which is like that's fucking that's, that's funny. hard. I, I I fuck with that. And it 
it makes 19 million or it makes 14 million its first week, right? Nice. Wow. But then it goes on to make 273 wow. million dollars worldwide. That's fucking crazy. So it grew through word of mouth, um, great positive critic reactions, and uh, just like the ever growing legend of like, you need to see Silence of the Lambs, right? So it spends its first five weeks at the top of the box office and just continually making more money Jeez. every week. This is the one movie on our horror movie list that like I could not imagine going to see in theaters for the first time. Like, I know we talk about like, you know, be- seeing The Exorcist would be crazy or seeing whatever would be this crazy, one. but. Going down and sitting in a theater and watching this movie, having like no idea, would be fucking incredible that's experience. Like, you know, that's like um, it's funny. I think it's a progressive commercial. There's the one with growing up, the funny commercials, like where the guys are like, you, you can't be like your parents. You got to be different. Uh-huh. And then they're in the theaters, and then at the end, the commercial ends like where they start clapping, and he's like, "No one who made the movie is here." Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was gonna say, like this movie, I think I would have gotten up, maybe over the clap. You know what I mean? Be like, God <laughs> damn. Would you go can style and give it like a twelve minute ovation. Yeah, hundred percent for twelve minutes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty much cooked on this movie yeah um, yeah there's what more could be said no right? honestly like, I, I hope you didn't come here for like critical an- analysts of the movie because that's not there are case studies out there just go read them yeah. <laughs> but um, oh what i did sorry what i did want to say though is like i can honestly say of all the movies on our list i've never seen another one like this no like no. this good or like yo this is the new silence of the lambs you know what yeah, i mean no like, you're right just nothing like this there thing. really is no new silence that's of what the lambs. because what you said uh Maybe man, man uh, Mindhunter? But even then, not it's even. not even close. It's, it's not more even. Of the premise it's anything. a total different vibe. Yeah, you said yeah. that, like, it almost seems... If somebody doesn't like this movie, it's just not for you, but I can't see you arguing that it's not a good movie. That's how good I think this movie yeah. is. Yeah, it's beyond genre. It's just a good film. It's just a good film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, even things like, okay, The Exorcist, Malignant, Halloween. There is other versions of those movies that are of... Uh, equal or lesser value, yeah, exactly. you know, but it's like, there is other movies that are basically the exorcist. There is basket case and other movies that are like malignant. Like when I forgot to bring this up during the malignant one, but like, I guess Brian De Palma made a movie called sisters in 72. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that that movie is very influential to like Cronenberg and all of these guys, because it's about Siamese twins who murder. Uh, <laughs> so I was oh, like, Hey, yeah. let me check that out. That pretty cool. But yeah, I truly believe science of the lambs is the only one on this list that has no other. I would like, agree. I right? think it's yeah. that high up. I mean, we'll get back on the whaling, right? And we'll see. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just truly one of a kind. It is. If if you've never seen this, like, go, like, watch this movie. Like, for real, for real, go watch this movie. You shouldn't movie. have even made it this far. You should have already yeah, no, exactly. turned this off and went to go watch the movie. Or go you come back. seek you out all your friends that haven't seen it and, you know, watch it again. Where'd like, you guys watch all this? you sickos? Huh? I rented this on Prime. Uh, I rented it on Prime as well. No, thank you. I was just curious where it was. I would love to have it on 4K or whatever, but it doesn't matter. I'll yeah. watch it anyway. Exactly. You watch it on fucking TV. Yeah, I was like, give it to me with the commercials. I don't even fucking <laughs> oh, Yeah, exactly. I liked it as a kid on TV. So, so with the first time you saw it, it was probably like six hours long. Huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's probably like two hours and 30. There was like 30 minutes of fucking extra. I, I remember watching it so vividly, just like the... Yeah, the scene where he does the sound with his mouth. Watching movies on TV was a, just a different time because you really had to have, like, your... Or, well, 
you really had to retain that information between commercial breaks. I adjusted to that as a kid, and I still think I have remnants of it. Like the commercial would come on, and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, or oh, I'm gonna go." Is that why you keep apples. getting up during the middle of the movies when we go to the theaters? Maybe I'm like gonna that. go fix. I'm <laughs> no, gonna say right. nothing. Like, yeah, this isn't important. Yeah, no, but I think that's why I was like, I, I used to take advantage of the commercial breaks, and even even now, I don't mind having the because re- I don't use Hulu that often. So when I do watch it, I have the regular one. So there's a bunch of commercials, but I just go on my phone for that. Like, oh. Let me check my text message or something. I've heard you say this before, but I never have had that issue with the Hulu, like playing ads during movies. It'd be like ads in the beginning of the movies. Like you need to get on the no, that get should, on the horn with these people. Like, that should what are you happen. Doing to me? It's because there's literally like 16 different types of fucking Hulu that you can have nowadays. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, because my dad was watching a series on there, and then he's like, "I'm not watching on there." He's like, "Cause there's just way too many commercials." That's then, a whole other conversation. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm but like, I do dude. think it's funny that commercials is something that people are like have such a problem with when it's like, didn't you live like that for thirty years? That's what I tell him all the time. But I did wasn't like, <laughs> and like your like grandpa used to show you stuff that's in black and white. Or you guys had a TV that like, you guys couldn't afford color yet, and now you're over here bitching about commercials. Like I understand getting used to it. Like he's like, oh, YouTube is better, but damn, like. I understand my brother feeling that way, but you don't have any patience anymore. And I mean, a lot of people feel that hey, way. And now. I'd much rather watch a YouTube ad than a fucking commercial. That's true. No, yeah, no, no, no that's sorry. True. The other way around. I would rather watch a commercial than a YouTube ad. Because sorry. there's that, like the funny commercials that I, like, what I just brought up. Yeah. I mean, and, and YouTube is usually like anybody could put an ad for this type yeah. of stuff that you like. So it sometimes a it's a low song. budget. It's a low budget. Yeah. <laughs> like for the most part on YouTube is like low budget commercials, but on TV, you know, it has to be somewhat up to like, at least they but this thing on a set. Or I woke up in the middle of the night one time with a YouTube ad playing. It was had over an hour left. <laughs> so like they literally just get you and like, oh, this person's asleep. Let's just play a two hour ad. And they get paid for that. Yeah. That you were watching. I was like, I'm fucking no hell no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no way. I think we drifted far okay, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. Movies and awesome. YouTube ads. That's what this podcast. We is gotta about. go have an old friend for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. Uh. Last thoughts or closing words? No, are you guys ready? No, I'm, no, yeah, I'm good, yeah, dude. I'm I'm good. I've said it. We I've love, said my we love this movie. Obviously, all of all, all of us have said that. Yeah. All right, click all those buttons and let us know how much you love this movie. If it's a top ten one for you, because I'm sure a good amount of you who have seen this will probably agree. What is your favorite Hannibal Lecter line? I'm curious. <laughs> you look like a root. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right bye guys. later. <laughs>